In 17th century France, a humanist scholar by the name of Maritus was an ailing fugitive in another country. When he presented himself to the medical doctors, he was dressed in, a, in the rags of a pauper. The doctors discussed his case in Latin, thinking that he wouldn't be able to understand. And they said, Faciamus experimentum in anima vali, one said, which means, let us try an experiment on this worthless creature. Imagine their shock when this assumed pauper replied, also in perfect Latin, will you call worthless one for whom Christ did not disdain to die? Ouch. Judgmentalism robs another person of the worth that God gives them. When I'm in, in judgmental, I look down on another person and lift myself up above them. I see my worth more than theirs. Welcome. I'm Dave. And our team, I should say teams, because there's a lot of teams working hard today for you. We welcome you here to Grace Church and Happy Easter. It's a great resurrection day, isn't it? God is not like humans. God is not judgmental. God has never participated in judgmental judgmentalism, as maybe you and I have. With God, no one, not one, is worthless. The judge of all the earth always judges righteously, yet is never judgmental. Judgmental, judgment, judgmentalism, what's the difference? Few verses are quoted from the Bible as regularly as Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which says this. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. You may have heard someone follow up with something like, don't judge me. And then following that, you know that's in the Bible. You know, they may not know anything else, but they, that's in the Bible. Don't judge me. In other words, back off. That's what the statement means. Back off. Any disagreement with a person's lifestyle or behavior or beliefs is met with this Captain's America shield that shields say, saying, don't judge me, that blocks any kind of incoming discussion or confrontation with their harmful attitudes or behaviors. So the rule of thumb that we want to grab on a, a hold of as we begin today is we should judge behavior, but we should not be judgmental. So you may ask the question, did, Je did Jesus himself judge other people? I'll let you decide. Jesus called the Pharisees, called them out and said that these Pharisees were being hypocrites in Matthew chapter 6. 
Jesus himself called uh, some people dogs and pigs for not respecting the holy and the sacred. Jesus labeled others as false teachers. So clearly, Jesus judged others for their attitudes and their behavior, but always righteously, always correctly, and with no animosity. Yet in his judgments, Jesus was never judgmental. Let me further define what judgmentalism really is. When Jesus instructs us not to judge others, Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 7 of an attitude of arrogance and self-righteousness and self-righteous judgmentalism. And that is what Jesus warned us not to do. Jesus says it's foolish to criticize another with a splinter in your brother's eyes when you have a beam in your own eye sticking out of your own eye, Matthew chapter 7. I want to ask you, have you ever had a splinter in your eye? I was chainsawing once on a farm and when I wear safety glasses, but one, one day I was cutting and a, and a piece of that fragment of that wood just made it through and under the glasses and lodged in my eye. You know what I did? I immediately started crying. <laughs> but I immediately dropped everything and made attention to the, my eye. And it took me three hours to get that thing out. And I, you know, when, you, when you're hurting, every bit of your focus goes to that. And this is what Jesus was telling us to do. He said, don't be so concerned about the wrongs that you see in other people. Be concerned about what is wrong in your own attitudes, in your own behaviors. Judge yourself. Get, this, get the beam, because, boy, when you get something in your eye, it hurts. And... When you're judgmental, you're hurting people. So give attention, drop everything, and tend to your own attitudes to correct them. When we are judgmental, we are using a standard against another person that we would not meet ourselves. And for sure, we don't want others to apply to us. We are being judgmental when we become, listen, more sensitive to what is wrong in another person than what is wrong in our own attitude. <coughs> Judgmentalism, then, is not judging between right and wrong, moral and immoral. Judgmentalism is holding a harmfully critical spirit and a condemning attitude toward other people or another person. Now I want to contrast, this is all about Easter today, I want to contrast Jesus with judgmentalism as we've defined it. Jesus was never arrogant. Jesus was never self-righteous. Jesus never had a harmful, critical spirit for another human being. 
Jesus never harbored any kind of condemning attitude. Jesus, on the contrary, was lowly of spirit, humble, caring, loving. And the whole time, accurately judged between right and wrong, and moral and immoral. And he said as much about himself, and he said these words in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. And he says these most powerful words. He says, for I am gentle or or lowly. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Simple question. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he's gentle? Aren't you glad that he's loving and he gives rest and that he, he's easy. He told us this because we don't know what God's like. And Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father on earth. And we don't know what God the Father's like. We don't even know what Jesus is really like most of the time. And so we look at Jesus, and he had to tell us what he's like. I'm not hard, I'm easy. I'm easy to get along with. I'm not condemning. I'll love you. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what your past is, I'll love you through it. That's the way God is. And that's what Jesus came to represent. He's beautiful, guys. He's he's absolutely beautiful. Jesus is. He says, I'm gentle. So he told us this. The king of all heaven and all the universe had to tell us what he's like because we had no idea. We had absolutely no idea what he's like. So he had to tell us, hey, I'm gentle. Because we don't see God this way. We see him as hard often. When we make a mistake, we see him as condemning often. And Jesus said, no. No. Gentle. The Father's gentle. I'm easy. So if you're at that place where you're not sure where you are with God, maybe you're far away from God, here's the message to you. And maybe you've made some mistakes and your relationship with God isn't what it was at one time, isn't what it should be. And you know that. Your conscience is bothering you? You ever been there? I've been there. Your conscience is just scratching you up. Well, here's your message. And I really believe this is from heaven, that God is gentle, that he's loving, and that he cares for you. Never keep, his eyes are always on you. He never takes his eyes off you. And you know what? That word easy, it means you can relax. You ever been around a friend that you've been friends with for a long time? You don't have to be pretentious or at it. You don't have to cover up anything. And just, you just relax. You're not trying to impress. You know they know all your mistakes. They, you know, shut up, Miller. <laughs> and you know that they know everything. You can say anything to them. 
right? Jesus is a lot like that. He said, you know, you can just relax. You can come around me and just relax. doesn't take anything away from how great God is. Really, it adds to it because your father's like this. You can hang with him. He's awesome. Not convinced yet that Jesus is the only way? This really gets me convinced probably more than anything, just that God is gentle, that Jesus is gentle, that he's easy, that I can relax around him. Do you think, do you still think that all the different religions are just different ways to the same objective? Really? Do you really? You know, I don't see a gentle God in the other religions. I see a harsh God. I look at Muhammad, I look at Islam, and if you don't convert, then there'll be pressure or rejection. Jesus isn't that way. In some cases, in extreme cases, you have people strapping on bombs in order to blow up the innocent. There's a force, there's a coercion, there's a demand with Muhammad. There isn't that with Jesus. In fact, at the garden, when Peter brought out the sword and sliced off the servant's ear, Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. In other words, we don't do things that way. There's never a force when it comes to Jesus to convert. He's gentle. He puts it in our plate and says, do, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you want to come with me? He totally makes it up to you. He never violates your free will. I don't know about you. I want to serve somebody like that. I want to know somebody like that. And to know that He is the King of all kings, to know that He is God of all gods, it's amazing to know that God in heaven loves me that much that He would tell me I'm gentle. And he would tell me, take it easy, relax. For some reason, that just motivates me. I hope it does you too. The thing about Jesus, if you're not convinced yet, th this is amazing in his personality. How you read the gospel accounts, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're not familiar with, there's four of them. And different, it's like climbing up different sides of the mountain and seeing a different perspective of Jesus. But in every one of them, you see that nobody's afraid to come to Jesus except the people that were hypocrites. Everybody else just loved him. My question is, are, are people relaxed and comfortable in my presence? Or do I bring some judgmentalism on people? Or bring it... You know, I usually do pretty good until they find out I'm a pastor or a preacher. And then the conversation just goes. And I have to pick it back up and earn trust again. So what, what are you portraying? Are, are you judging? Are you lifting? 
people instead. There was one poor woman who, of all the people that came to Jesus and approached him, there was one that you might be able to say that she was a little bit frightened to be approaching Jesus. She had an issue of blood that they couldn't stop. She spent everything that she could with the physicians of the day and tried to stop that hemorrhaging and it just wasn't working. And so she saw Jesus going in a crowd and she thought to herself, and, and some of the passages say that she actually said this, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. Can you put yourself in that position? Can you put yourself in that destitution? And it wasn't so much that she was afraid of Jesus. I think it was that she was afraid of all the religious people because she was not ceremonially clean because of this issue of blood. And in that culture, there was condemnation. There was a lot of condemnation and a lot of restrictions. But she went through all the restrictions and she just, if I can just get to him and touch his clothes. And she did. And she got there. She grabbed the hem of his garment. And it says that, that power, dunamis in the Greek, it said that power just shot out of him and went into her and immediately healed her. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples and all the people around said, there's, there's crowds of people. Everybody's bumping you and telling you. But somebody touched me differently. The power of God came because she believed. She had faith that something would happen if she could just connect with Jesus. And my question to you today, do you believe that if you just connect with Jesus somehow, some way, in some prayer this week, would he reach out and would power shoot out of him and touch your life? And I believe it will. I believe it will. So would you connect with him? Wherever you are. You say, well, I've been connecting for it. Well, you need it more than anybody. Right? Don't ever take this stuff for granted. Because you know what this is? You don't know everything. God only knows everything. You need Him like you never needed Him before, even if you've been walking with Him for years. Guys, I need Him more now than I ever needed Him. i got grandkids now, so... I don't know what that had to do with anything. Mothers brought their babies to Him. Why would mothers bring babies to Jesus? Because they trusted His gentleness. They trusted His gentleness. He conversed with the unholy. He talked to the unclean. He touched people with leprosy. There was no bounds to what Jesus, who Jesus would, would connect with. He made himself the home, a home, at home with the common person and never looked down with disdain at the wealthy or the poor. He really didn't care about those kinds of things. He's the one that we're inviting you today to put in the driver's seat of your life. He's the gentle man, the king, and the God that we serve. So this is the view Jesus said that we should have of God, the Father. Jesus being the perfect image of the Father God in both thought and action. Everything, if you see in Jesus, you see in the Father. 
He constantly told his followers that. You see me, you see the Father. What you see me do, saying, if I heal, that's the Father healing. So, how do you view, view God? You see God as being gentle to you in your life, in the circumstances that you're in. You see God being gentle to you. You see Him being humble to you. If not, then there's the challenge. Let's get back in and find out what Jesus said about Himself. And reframe those thoughts. If you have this idea that God is distant, angry, condemning, let's get in there and reframe it with truth. And the truth says that God's not that way towards you. He's humble, He's gentle, He's kind, He's patient. Anybody need all that? Sociologists from Baylor University released the results of a study looking into America's different views of God. So this is just Americans, it's not the rest of the world, but they, their study was confined to America, but it's amazing what they came up with. Part of the study was a survey conducted by the Gallup organization which identified four distinct views of God's personality and interaction with the world. So these Baylor researches, researchers outlined the results as follows. Number one, those who believe in an authoritarian God who is angry at humanity's sins and engaged in every creature's life and world affairs, that's about 31%. Those who believe, number two, in a benevolent God who is forgiving and accepting of anyone who repents, is about 23%. Those who believe in a critical God who has who is judgmental, who has his judgmental eye on the world, but he's not going to intervene either to punish or to comfort, that's about 16%. And the fourth is those who believe in a distant God who is more of a cosmic force that launches the world and then leaves it spinning on its own, and that's about 24, 25%. If you add all these percentages of people believing in an authoritarian, authoritarian, a critical and a distant God, you have about 72% of Americans who have an aberrant, distorted, and at the very least, an incomplete view of God. 72 that's about three quarters of us. One very good thing that can happen to you today and through the next couple of weeks in this series that we're beginning today on understanding how crazy God is about you is that that idea, however it came, because sometimes it comes from figures in our life when we're very young that don't represent God very well and that's a nice way of putting it. And so we look at the authority in our life and we just transfer that over to God and God was never that way. Because we have to understand the authorities in our lives are human and they make many mistakes and some of us have, have been formulated by these authoritarian figures in our lives that we think are godlike, and so we grow up and we don't want to have anything more to do with that. 
And so we go further and further and further away from our relationship with God. Somehow the Holy Spirit has to come in each one of our lives and begin to reframe and restructure the way that we perceive God. The Father is gentle. He's kind. And for some of us, that's a huge difference in the way that we perceive things. 72%, almost three-quarters of us, the Holy Spirit is working overtime to give new images of God, the images of truth, of the way God really is. And for some of us, this takes, it's a lot, well, all of us, it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? Because we're constantly learning more about God. And we sang about it a lot. The kids sang about it and jumped around. Wasn't that fun? I mean, that was good job, guys. Um, but just to see that God is not dead. He's alive. And if He's alive, then what is He like? He's gentle. He's kind. I can't say it enough. <laughs> he loves you. He's crazy about you. He's absolutely crazy about you. And that's hard for some of us. We struggle with that. Especially when we find ourselves locked in this pattern of, of degradation, of, of the world's way of reacting. And we get angry and we get lustful and we, and we see, how can God be crazy over something like me? But He is. Or else the Son of God would never have gone to the cross except it for a joy before him to set you free forever. God's so good, so good to us. And he's gentle and he's kind. He's crazy about us. As Francis Chan, I stole that from him. It was so good. I just stole it. It is it's like, I want that. I didn't even write him a letter and ask. I just stole it. Um but no one really has ever loved you like Jesus loves you. No one. You may be a thousand miles away from God at this point, and God still loves you. You can't run far enough to get away from His care. It's just not possible. You can't hide. You can hide it from other people, but you can't hide from Him. So what does crazy mean? It means outrageous means beyond normal. And that's the kind of love that God has for each one of us personally. It's abnormal. It's not like anything that we've ever seen. It's not built on, I do this for you and you do this for me. It has, nothing to do, it has everything to do with God's character. And He is love. And He loves to love people. And He wants that love to be in us in a growing measure every day. That when people are nasty, like we're nasty to God, when people are nasty to us, we, all that comes out of us is love for people. Do they deserve it? No, it's not based on that. It's based on you. It's based on your decision to love them. Just like God's love for you is based on Him and His character, not on your behavior or, or the way that you think. God simply is outrageous beyond normal in His love. And he's outrageous and abnormal in the way that he accepts us. Who here is acceptable before God? That's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Well, I think because of Jesus, you know, Jesus is the one that makes us acceptable 
But I want you to see this something. Sometimes it's like, people say this a lot of times and it just kind of tilts me the wrong way because, well, God accepts us because he sees us through the filter of Jesus. Which is true. I mean, we would, there's no way we'd have a chance without the love of God, right? Without Jesus doing his work, his blood, his name, all of that. I, I'm not taking anything. But I want you to see this. When he looks through the filter of Jesus and sees you, he sees you. He sees you. And he loves you. He absolutely is through. He created you. He loves you. He sees you. He sees everything about you. And he still loves you. Guys, that's crazy. Because you see you too. Right? You know where you are. You know what you've thought. You know what you've done. You know your past. He still loves you. I want to... That was my intro. <laughs> Some of you are not laughing. <laughs> I won't go much longer, but I want to hit one of, this, one of the greatest stories, uh, I think, is with Matthew and Zacchaeus. And they're both tax collectors. But Matthew's, he, he, in his own story, let's look at, it's just so heartwarming and touching in these couple scenes. But Matthew gets to what happens is Matthew's the first gospel, right? For Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's the first one. And it's the, I think it's the longest one, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's the longest one, 28 chapters. So Matthew's writing this, and he's a, he's a former tax collector. And anybody know what the tax collectors were like? They were ostracized because they were Jewish people that worked for the Romans. And so their job was to be IRS agents and come to your house and make you pay. And then they would take that money, a lot of it was extorted, and they brought that money and they took that and shaved off a pretty good chunk for themselves and put that aside and gave the rest to the Romans. So the tax collectors were hated by the Jews, their own people, because they were pretty much traitors. They were very wealthy. Nothing wrong with being wealthy, but they were wealthy in a wrong way. And so they were despised. The Jews knew what they were doing, and they hated them. Matthew, let's not roll right over this real fast, because this is real important to understand. Matthew was one of the writers of the Bible. Did you get that? He wrote one of the Gospels. What happened? There was a change. There was a change. So Matthew, as he's writing this a little bit later in his life, went through about chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Of course, there weren't chapters. It was just the stories. It was his account of his eyewitness of what he saw in Jesus. And he wrote eight chapters in Chapter 9, he comes to his own story. Really cool, isn't it? He says, you know, I think I'm just going to write about what happened to me. So, he does. In chapter 9, we see his own story written by Matthew himself. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 9, verse 9, just for a few verses. 
As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Just, just saw a man named Dave. <laughs> so he's telling his own story. Jesus went on from there and he saw a man. I want you to see what Jesus saw. What did Jesus see? See, Jesus sees everything and Jesus saw not a tax collector, he saw a man. And if we can just get there, we'll love a lot more people. If we'll not see what everybody sees and we just see what God sees, we'll see a person. We'll not see a prostitute. We'll not see a pornographer. We'll not see all these other things. We'll see a person. We'll see a woman. We'll see a man. We'll see a child. And we'll see their needs. That's the way Jesus worked. And that's what Jesus saw. So he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he just simply says this, follow me. Follow me. He told him, and Matthew, don't ever think, here's the lie that Satan puts in our head that it's hard to follow Jesus. No, it's not. He's gentle. He's easy. It's not hard to follow him. Anybody get that? It's not hard. That lie comes from the enemy who doesn't want you to follow him. It's easy to follow him. Not only is it easy, but he gives you all the strength, the power, and the wisdom to follow him. You guys that are getting baptized today, it's not hard to follow him. People can be hard. The enemy can be hard. But God's not hard. He said, follow me. And look what Matthew, he didn't struggle. And Matthew got up and followed him. <laughs> That's all we had to do, just get up and follow him. I'm convinced that God is speaking to so many of us, not just today, but every day. And he's got one step for you. You can take one step. What is that step? It might be just to get up and talk to him. You know, instead of just rushing off in your day, stop and thank God for the springtime. Look at the, the flowers out there. I was turkey hunting last week and I just had to stop. I was like, God, thank you for the beauty of Terry Linhaw's farm <laughs> that he lets me hunt on. And nobody else can hunt out there, okay? I just, I just, you know, I, that was selfish, wasn't it, Terry? I'm sorry. But I just stopped and I looked at the red buds and the dogwoods are just coming out. And I'm like, God, this is just beautiful. Well, that was my step for today. What's your step going to be for today? He's talking to you. He's trying to communicate to you. Will you listen and open up your ears? I believe that you can and will and have been. Maybe you're just getting started in doing that and you're not really sure how to do that. The best way I can say is that it's impressions on the inside. It may not be a voice from heaven. It can be. But a lot of times it's just an impression Wow, it's beautiful out here. Well, that was God saying, didn't I create some beautiful stuff for you to enjoy? Yeah, you did, God. You know, and you used to start talking with him. And he followed him. Matthew followed him. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Wow. 
all these people that are ostracized by society, they're in one place, and Jesus is right among them having a good party with them. You just can't get away from that. You can't reinterpret that in any other way. He loved them. You know why? Because he didn't see them as ostracized. He didn't see them as tax collectors. He saw them as people. You know what we are? We're not church people. We're not secular people. We're not any of these different... You know, we're just people. And we just want to serve people and love people. That's what we're all about. It says... When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher sat, eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But, and listen to these words, he said. But go and learn what this means. And I, I found in different parts of my journey in life, I've had to go and learn what this means again and again. Because I'm just not getting it. Because I'm awful angry at somebody. Or I'm pretty judgmental against somebody. And I've got to go back and learn. I've got to go back. I've got to back up. And go and learn what this means. And what is it that he really wants us to get today? This is God's message to us. Jesus said it. And this is coming from heaven. This is the Heavenly Father, and He says, I desire mercy. I desire mercy. Are you getting that? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, I've done this and this and this. I don't, I don't, God sees all that. He knows what you sacrifice. Not speaking disparagingly on that. But what is coming out of your heart? Is it mercy? Is it loving kindness? Is it Simply kindness. Is it mercy? Because if it is, God's really pleased with you. Because you're giving mercy when maybe it's not really deserved. But you're giving mercy to people that may be ostracized. Can you imagine how Matthew felt in that context at that home? as these important people of that day just ridiculed the Son of God just for hanging with Him. And a few of His friends. Jesus basically said, this man is why I'm here. He's saying to that judgmentalism that was coming from the Pharisees, he said, this man, Matthew, is why I'm here. Because you see him one way, I see him totally different. This is crazy acceptance, outrageous acceptance, beyond normal. Jesus accepted people on a level that we need to go and learn more about. Here's something to think about. And you might want to just even scratch this down or put it in your phone. I believe that the more that you become like Christ, the more that searching people like you, and the more that judgmental people 
despise you. I wish it wasn't that way, but this is what I've experienced. And I think you probably have too. The more that you become like Christ, the more that searching people, looking for truth, love you, and people that are judgmental will begin to... Has anybody experienced judgmentalism? There have been two or three times in my life where it's hurt the most. I'm not going to go into them, but I know that's happened to each of us. And it's very, very painful. Because a lot of times those people seem to represent God in some way. And so it becomes a, a roadblock to us. At this party, there's a good chance there was somebody else at there, there at Matthew's party. And it was a tax collector, Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector. When Zacchaeus was there, I'm kind of switching around, but it's kind of the same story. But in Luke chapter 19, verse 7, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Talking about going to Zacchaeus' house because they were all despising Zacchaeus as well as Matthew. And what did Jesus do? He not only went to Matthew's house, he went to Zacchaeus' house. He went to both their houses. And so then they said, he's gone to the guest of a sinner. Oh, no. He went to a sinner's house. The cooties. We get so weird, don't we? About people. You know, every one of us at one point was a sinner. Thank God for the righteousness of God, but it didn't come from us, it came from Him. So who are we to brag? And who are we to despise somebody else that hasn't experienced that yet, right? Jesus not only did not despise people, but he went toward them. Are you getting this? He went after them. I have to ask the question of myself. I hope you will yourself as well. Who am I going after to love and serve? They just couldn't get the fact that Jesus just simply really loves people, everybody. That's a long introduction. Well, anyhow, I want to keep on going, but that's uh, enough. Can I have the worship team come on back? And... So while they're coming up, I'd like to ask you to consider a couple thoughts. First of all is this, how do I respond 
to this crazy kind of love? What can I do to take a step in that direction? Because he's coming after me. How can I respond to him? It's like I'm just blown away by this love. Like Matthew must have been blown away by this love. When he was surrounded by judgmentalism, people condemning him, Matthew followed Jesus. So how do I follow Jesus? Is there something that I can think? Is there something that I can do to go near to him, to accept him, to receive his plan for my life? On the cross, Jesus faced the highest degree of judgmentalism that any human has ever faced. He was judged over and over, not just on the cross, but before that when he was being punished, when he was being chastised, when he was under trial, several trials. So how do I respond to this? He was judged. He endured all that judgmentalism so that I don't have to be judged by God. How do I respond to that? Know that Jesus sees you as you are. He sees you exactly the real you. And now you got a taste of what the real Jesus is like. Is this a day that the real Jesus comes in here? Into the real you? Would you close your eyes a minute? Bow your head. Say, Dave, you've been just speaking right to me. Well, that's God speaking right to you. He's trying to tell you that He's gentle, He's kind, that He wants you to give up your own ways and ideas of how you're going to run your life, and He wants you to put Him in the driver's seat. I want to invite you to do that. He said, Dave, I've been in control too long. I want to take my hands off the steering wheel. I want to let Jesus drive now. Would you do that? If that's you today, nobody else is looking around. Every eye is closed. Would you just look up and make eye contact with me? And let me know. You know, I I want to do that right now. Are you making eye contact with me? Okay, great. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just simply make eye contact with me. A new journey. Are you making eye contact with me? Awesome. Awesome. This is the power of the Holy Spirit drawing you into a greater relationship with Him. Just a couple more seconds. Okay, here's another invitation I'd like to give you. You haven't been walking with God like you know that you should. You know that He's good. But there's some things in your life that you've experienced and 
Somehow you've let that slip in between you and your relationship with God. And God had nothing to do with it. God had nothing to do with it. And now's your day to put God in first place again. And this is an Easter Sunday, the Easter weekend that you can remember. This is the day when I begin to walk with God again in a greater, greater level. If that's you, would you just make eye contact with me and say, you know, nothing's going to come between me and God now. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm ready to do that. I want to put him at the driver's seat now in Jesus' name. Anybody else? All right. I want to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these people that are responded to you and you're going to take this you see their hearts you see what they're wanting to do they're wanting to put you first place or they're wanting to return to this place of intimacy with you and walking with you God I thank you that you don't contemn any of us as we return as we seek to walk with you, you you're gentle you accept us and you love us And I pray, God, that you will empower each of these people. Empower them with the power of the Holy Spirit to live with you in the lead. Sometimes that in itself is a little bit frightening because we don't want to give up the controls. And I thank you for these guys that had the courage, as the Holy Spirit is giving them courage, to give up the lead to you. And let's say this together. Heavenly Father... In the name of Jesus, everybody together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give up control to you. Be in my driver's seat now. Lead me. Direct me. And help me. And give me wisdom. In Jesus' name. I want you, Jesus. Come into my heart. Lead me. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. God's so good, isn't He? And He's gentle, right? I congratulate you guys that are putting Him in the driver's seat and putting Him out lead. You can't go wrong with Him out lead, right? God's so good. All right, let's sing.